0: It is my prayer that these meditations presented today will truly touch your heart and show you that your life is worth living. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I'm your host, Al Smith, and I want to thank you for joining me for uh, this journey together as we learn from the wise and holy uh, man of God, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been sharing lessons from, uh, again, the time during the Second World War when uh, Fulton Sheen was trying to uh, just, I want to say, put people at peace, um, I mean, just think about if war was um, in your own backyard. You would be wondering, where is God? Are we on God's side? Is he on our side? All these questions that so many people would ask and have asked in the past. And so um, I think what's important, though, is that um, Sheen would say to us, be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. He would be Of course, repeating the scriptures that we have read over the years, uh, that call from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be holy. And uh, so there's something about sanctity. And uh, again, Fulton Sheen gave a number of retreats over the years, and I'm going to share with you today one of his reflections from a priestly retreat. And the talk is simply titled, The Foundation of Sanctity. And so, I think there'll be something in that talk for each and every one of us, and we're all called to holiness. And so, uh, may I invite you, as I always do each week, just to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, as he gives this talk titled, The Foundation of Sanctity. Please enjoy.
1: Your Excellency, Bishop Shadden the priests, and devout religious, and seminarians, and all friends in Christ. Bishop Shad spoke of bishops retiring. I never retired, I (laughs) retreaded. And apropos of being well-known, may I tell you that it was not always so. I first started radio in 1928, station WLWL New York, and the following year went national. And that station had a tremendous audience in New York. One Sunday I visited a certain parish in New York and the pastor asked me to read the Mass and preach. And when I finished the Gospel, he said he would introduce me. He said to the people, Now this young priest you have all heard on station WLWL. There's hardly anybody in New York who does not know him. And in tribute to this wonderful man whom everyone knows, I would ask for a silent collection, only bills, (laughs) because this well-known priest deserves a tribute of this kind. And then he turned to me and he said, What is your name? (laughs) I'm going to talk to you tonight about reverence and and a regret about the growing familiarity concerning sacred things. As I travel about the country, I have noticed a less awesome sense in the presence of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament there is considerable talking in church and a decline of respect for sacred things so the Blessed Sacrament has been enthroned here we are in the presence of the Lord himself And it's wonderful to have faith enough to understand that presence and have reverence for it. Apropos of the want of it, I was in a church once where there I began Oh yes, I came in the front aisle and I met a little boy outside about four or five I said, are you going to Mass? He said, I don't know. I'll think about it. So I came in and I began the Mass. When I went into the pulpit to preach, he came in and sat in the Episcopal chair. So when I came down, I let him stay there. Then came the offering of the gifts. And he went down and he took the wine cruets and started swinging them on his fingers as he came down the middle aisle. When we began the Sanctus, began the Mass, there was a little baby in the church that started to cry. He went down in the church, tapped the baby on the head, and the baby stopped crying. And I said, maybe we have a future bishop here. And he stuck up his two fingers for victory. <laughs> and I said to the pastor afterwards, I said, who is this chap? Well, he said, for a long time, our church was without a carpet just a cement floor. The only carpet in the church was in the sanctuary. So he said, I had all of the mothers who had children put the children in the sanctuary. And they could play and roll around on the carpet. He said he was on that carpet so long because his mother brought him every Sunday that he began to think that he owned the church and that's the reason he took it over when you came. That was, however, the familiarity of childhood. But it is not precisely that point that I want to speak, but we'll come to it. And apropos of reverence, about six or eight months ago, I had a sick call from Houston, Texas. And I flew down to Houston. A friend of mine, a European was operated on by Dr. DeBakey, a heart operation. And so I prepared to give him communion the morning after the operation. When I brought communion in the room, he began to climb out of bed. His name, Leopold, king of the Belgians the father king and I said your majesty back into bed you've just had an operation no he said I must stand for the king that is reverence that is faith Now coming to the point, what are we called to be? Did you know that we are called to be saints? Now not saints that are going to be canonized after death. The word Christian is used only three times in the New Testament. The word saints is used 30 times. When St. Paul wrote, for example, to the Philippians, he addressed his letter to the saints of Philippi, to the saints of Colossae, to the saints of Thessalonica, It would be just exactly, for example, as if the bishop, Bishop Shad, would address you a letter, on some parochial matter, and say to the saints of St. Rose Parish. In the early church, all members of the church were called saints. And that's what we're called to be, saints. What is a saint? Well, a saint means one who is holy. The Greek word is hagios. One who is separated, a little different from others. For example, now here's the New Testament. This is a sacred book. Why is this a holy book? Because it's different from other books. Why is the church holy? Because it's different from other buildings. Why was the lamb, for example, that was offered up in the temple in the Old Testament, the symbol of our blessed Lord, why was that lamb called holy? Because it was different from all other animals. It had to be without blemish and had to be one year old. So we are called saints because we are separated from the rest of the world. We're different from them. Now, are we? Actually, how different? I had dinner with a doctor in New York not very long ago, and he told me that he had a friend visiting him from Iran. And in the course of the dinner... This visitor from Iran, who was not a Catholic or a Christian, said, we have many Christians in Iran, and I occasionally have them to my table. He said, do you know that I've been in New York City for three months, and I haven't yet met a Christian? Why? Because he never met anyone who was different from anyone else. They didn't talk any differently. They seemingly did not have any other set of values than the world itself. See, there's been such a decline of reverence and holiness in the church that, for example, the nuns throwing off their habits. They no longer want to be different, they want to be with the world. They want to be with it. In God's name, I wish somebody would tell me what it is. Being with it. We're not made to be with it. We're to be with Christ. And our Lord said, I've taken you out of the world. Out of it. That means you're holy. If I left you in the world... The world would love you, for the world loves its own. May I tell you now the history of this holiness. And I'm going to read to you from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Whenever I read the letter to the Ephesians, I always think of something that happened years ago. There was a bigoted congressman from the south, and he was finally defeated in election and he went to Jim Farley who was postmaster general and asked Jim Farley if he would give him a government job and Jim never answered the letter finally the congressman bumped into Jim and he said Jim you never answer my mail he said you remind me of a man we had in the south who when he died he went to heaven and he looked up St. Paul and he said to St. Paul St. Paul did you ever get an answer to that letter that you wrote to the Ephesians? <laughs> I'm reading you therefore the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. And here is the story of sanctity. There's something eternal about sanctity. There's something historical about it. And there's something contemporary. Contemporary. What is the eternal mark of sanctity? That God loved us before the world was made. Think of it. Now let me read you the passage. It's in the first chapter of Ephesians, about the fourth verse. In Christ he chose us before the world was founded. To be dedicated to be without blemish in his sight and to be full of love and to be accepted as sons. You mothers, for example, who have begotten children Loved your children before they were born. God loved us before the world was made. And called us to be his children. That meant that we were to call God Father. Now think of how good the Lord is. Who needs none of us. Who nevertheless willed each and every one of us from all eternity to share his nature. Now, when our blessed Lord took a human nature and came to this earth, the Jews were scandalized at him. Why? Because he talked in such familiar terms about his Heavenly Father. The Jews would not use one word in Hebrew that meant God. And whenever they saw that God in writing, they would say another word. Because God was so much above them. Then our blessed Lord comes, and he uses a very unusual word. It was not a perfect Aramaic word. Our Lord spoke Aramaic. The word that he used was Abba, A-B-B-A, the accent on the last syllable. Abba. Now, Abba is what is known as a caritative word. It is the word, the pet word, which any child calls his father. Can you imagine the consternation of the Jews who had thought God so much above everyone that they would not mention his name? And then our Lord saying to his heavenly father, Abba. And St. Paul was so much struck by that that he said that God has called us to be his children and given us the right to call God Abba, Father. So from all eternity we were called to be saints. We are kind to the person at the door who comes and asks for a handout. That's just an occasional act of love. But we were loved before we were begotten. Now we come to history. If therefore we were saints from all eternity, what was the second stage? Well, we became sinners through the head of humanity, Adam. So, what was the second act of God? to make us holy, the shedding of his blood for our salvation. Now I will continue to read the same epistle to the Ephesians. For in Christ our release is secured, and our sins are forgiven through the shedding of his blood, through the shedding of his blood. What is the ultimate basis of the forgiveness of sins? When you get down to rock bottom, what is the cost price of forgiveness? Blood. The word blood is used 400 times in the Scriptures. In the Epistle to the Hebrews, we read, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. Why? Well, because sin is in the blood. It's in the blood of the alcoholic. It's in the blood of the degenerate. It's in the blood of the addict. It's in disease. Sin gets into every alley of the body and the brain. It would almost seem that if therefore we are ever to be purged we have to shed blood. But instead of shedding our own, our Lord said, I will take your place, and you will not pay the price. I will. And that was why our blessed Lord went to a bloody death. So he chose us to be saints from all eternity, and when we sinned, then he said, now I'll buy you back. I'll give my life for yours. And what's the third stage, or the contemporary? Right now, what does God do for us? The third stage is, he sends us his spirit. Now I'll read you that first of all from the uh, Corinthians. And you too, when you heard the message of truth, the good news of salvation, and believed it, You became incorporated in Christ and received the seal of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit is the pledge that we shall enter into our heritage. As I told you today, our blessed Lord sent us himself. He did not remain on earth. Why didn't he remain on earth? Would have seemed better you mothers could have brought your children to him we could have been inspired of the majesty of his bearing and yet he said it is better for you that I go if he had remained on earth he would have been outside of us if he left and sent his spirit then he would not be an example to be copied then he would be a life to be lived suppose I had the power to give you the spirit of Shakespeare how you would write or the spirit of Michelangelo well it is within us to receive the spirit of Christ so that Christ lives in us This is the mission of Christ and it is this Christ in us that makes us saints. So this is the story of our sanctity. He loved us from all eternity and then in history he died for us and now he sends his spirit. Sometime pick up the read the 7th and 8th chapter of Romans. In the 7th chapter you have a description of of man as he is without Christ. The word I, me, mine, myself, in most translations is used 30 times in chapter 7. This is what human nature is without Christ. Selfish, egocentric. chapter 8 of Romans St. Paul tells of the coming of the spirit and the word I, me, my, myself is used only about three times and the rest of the chapter is about the soul being possessed by Christ this is the foundation of sanctity having Christ in us, later on I'm going to tell you how he grows in us but for the moment I'm just giving you the story of how the spirit comes to us so that we actually are slaves of Christ that's what it means to be a saint we are very fond of the word liberation in sacred scripture the word liberation is used only for sin We are liberated from evil. Freed from the devil. Why are we liberated from the devil? To be the slaves of Christ. Slaves. Utterly his. There is a passage... In St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which I'm going to read you, which is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. And in this translation, which I am using in the English Bible, it is particularly beautiful. Perhaps I should tell you the historical background of it first. About once in a lifetime. Not much more often than that. There used to be held in Rome what was called a triumphant procession. In order to have a triumphant procession, a Roman general, first of all, had to fight a battle on foreign soil. Two, he had to kill at least 5,000 of the enemy in one engagement. Three, he had to add 100,000 square miles to the Roman Empire. And four, he had to bring back spoils of victory. Now those are four difficult conditions to fulfill. And can you imagine in this magnificent splendor of Rome, the emperor coming in for this procession. And as it filed down the great streets of Rome, it was led first of all by the Senate, and then followed the Lictors, then the white bull that was going to be sacrificed in gratitude for the victory. Then came the spoils of victory. For example, when Titus had a triumphant procession in Rome, he brought back the spoils of Jerusalem carried back the seven-branch candlestick when you visited Rome you saw the Ark of Titus and you saw the picture of the seven-branch candlestick on that Ark of Titus because he brought that back as a prize and then after the spoils then there came musicians then priests with incense then the captives spoiled the victory and at last was the emperor who carried an ivory scepter with a Roman eagle on top of it and a slave held above his head some palm leaves as everyone in the crowd shouted Eo triumphae The slaves of the other countries that were brought into Rome smelled this incense that reminded them were slaves of Rome. What did it sm- did it smell that way to the emperor and to the senate? No, the incense had the smell of victory. Now Saint Paul must have been at one of those processions because this is what he describes you almost have to know uh, the history of Roman processions to understand this text and St. Paul says thanks be to God who continually leads us about Captives in Christ's triumphant procession. Instead of the slaves, St. Paul puts the saints. Thank God, he said, we are slaves in Christ's triumphant procession and everywhere uses us to reveal and spread abroad the fragrance of himself we are indeed the incense offered by Christ to God both for those who are on the way to salvation and for those who are on the way to perdition to the latter we who represent Christ we talk Christ to them what are we? He said, it's not a sweet-smelling fragrance. People do not like to hear about Christ, but to those that are saved, it is the fragrance that brings life. So we saints, therefore, are really slaves in Christ's triumphant procession. Totally is. Now, this may strike you as new. It should not. But you have to admit that you have led your Christian life in just a rather mediocre fashion. You have not gone out with tremendous enthusiasm to be Christian. We suffer of mediocrity. We are not deeply in love. So I'm going to tell you now how we grow in the love of Christ. This is going to be a long talk. Well, I get out of town immediately afterwards, so be consoled. Apropos of a long talk, I was giving a talk at a banquet in San Francisco. And the gentleman who preceded me, as he arose at the dais, was handed a program by his wife, who sat at a table immediately below the head table. And I couldn't help but see the note that she had written for him as he stood up, a big K-I-S-S. And when he finished speaking, I said to him, Wasn't that nice of your wife to send you that friendly note? No, he says, It doesn't mean what you think it means. It means keep it short, stupid. (laughs) I know of a professor of scripture. Well, uh, no, I won't take up any more time. All right, I'll tell you. (laughs) A professor of scripture was speaking about the twelve minor prophets of the Old Testament. And he had finished three after an hour and 45 minutes. And he thought the audience was getting a bit tired and he should introduce the next one with some degree of histrionics. And he said, and now, and now, where shall I place Habakkuk? Someone got up in the back and said he can take my seat. <laughs> So in conclusion, let me tell you how we grow in the slavery of Christ and his triumphal procession. First of all, how do we grow in relationship with any other human person? Now, you've been in love. You know the steps of love they are three first knowledge secondly love and third a new kind of knowledge which I will explain I'll give you a historical case I was visiting a college some years ago a girls college and going from one classroom to the other answering questions and as I came out of a chemistry class I said to the sister who was conducting me through the school, Do you recall the girl who asked me this particular question? Yes, she said. I said, is she as good as she is beautiful? Sister said, yes. She is as good as she is beautiful. I said, would you please call her out of the room? So she came out of the room... And I said, do you know Jack so-and-so of Cleveland? She lived in Pittsburgh. She said, no. I said, you're going to marry him next October. She said, I don't know him. Well, I said, I will introduce you. They were married the next October. (laughs) And they had ten beautiful children. Now, in order that there could be a marriage she had to be introduced and so did he so our attachment to any person has to begin with knowledge she said I don't know the man so Dorothy this is Jack that's stage one stage two is love where one begins to admire the attributes and the character of the other and in love there's a great difference in the way that a man and a woman loves a man will always give reasons why he loves I love you because you're beautiful I love you because you've got pearly teeth I love you because you're smart I love you because you play tennis and so forth a woman never gives reasons she just says I love you because a woman loves totally she doesn't think of the reasons so after meeting one another then they fall in love they're married when a husband and wife are married for some times, there comes a new kind of knowledge they know one another so intimately that they can almost read one another's thoughts It's not an outer knowledge, it's an inner knowledge. An outer knowledge is the knowledge that we have, for example, of uh, or the distance of the sun from the earth. An inner knowledge is something that affects us personally. That, incidentally, is why in Scripture, Scripture never speaks of marriage in terms of sex. Is it because... It's opposed to sex? No, of course not. Why knowledge? Because there is no unity closer than the mind knowing a thing. For example, I know this microphone. You couldn't put a knife between my mind and my knowledge of that microphone. And so a husband and wife know one another. There's no separation. There's a unity. So the steps—know, love, and then a deeper knowledge and understanding. Let us apply this to Christ and our sanctity. First of all, we've got to know Christ. You've got to know him better, otherwise you can't love him. Do you ever pick up the scriptures? You ever read the story of his life would you be able to quote for example his words of the sermon on the mount did you ever try to find out why he came to this earth you and I came into this world to live he came into it to die so you cannot grow in your slavery to Christ affection for him unless you have some knowledge of him and this need not be uh, a student's knowledge it's a knowledge in which you become related to him quite personally and you carry on a kind of a tete a tete with him then comes the second stage which is love You love Christ. What does love mean? Love means obedience. That's love. Our blessed Lord said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think one of the mistakes that we make in catechetics and Christian doctrine is to believe that if we communicate a great deal of doctrine to our young people, that therefore they will be good no they only may become wise devils instead of stupid ones our blessed Lord never said if you know my doctrine you will know do my will he never said that but he said if you do my father's will you will know him Loving is obeying. That means, therefore, that in everything we do, it'll be for Christ's sake. We love him. So we never think of sin as disobedience to a law. It's hurting someone we love. For example, in the beginning of the Mass, In the new liturgy, we say we will now pause to contemplate our sins. Do you know what I do whenever I think of that? I always look at the crucifix. I don't go through a catalog of my sins and failings. I see the effect of them. the crucifix is my autobiography my life has been written so is yours every sin of pride the crown of thorns lust for gain the hands pierced with nails running away from the Lord feet riven with steel false loves pierced heart sins of lust flesh hanging from him like purple rags that is what sin does that is what disobedience does so that the only way we can grow in the love of God after we know him is to do his will I once heard a black preacher say if the good Lord wants me to go through that brick wall it's up to him to make the hole." In other words, God has a will and he will provide. But this is the way our life is governed. This is the way we grow in holiness. Therefore, when there are pleasant things, we thank God. I, I always thank you for a good game of tennis. I thank you more for a good tennis game than I do for a good meal particularly when I cook then I have great difficulty thanking him at all. Did I ever tell you because I do my own cooking did I ever tell you uh, Sheen's culinary law number one you never prepare a dish if the pleasure that you get out of eating it is exceeded by the pain of washing the pots and pans that prepared it. Example that does away with eggs entirely. Well now coming back to how we become saints one we've got to know more about our Lord when you know him better you begin to love him when you love him you do his will in all things offering up everything for him even the pains Daily work has made a prayer. In the gutter of a city street is a drop of water, soiled, stagnant. Way up in the heavens, a gentle sunbeam sees it, leaps from out the azure sky down to the drop, kisses it, thrills it through and through with new strange lights and hopes, and lifts it up higher and higher and higher, to the mountaintop where it becomes a flake of snow. So humdrum routine actions are all sanctified by doing them in his name. That is prayer. Then after the knowledge and after the obedience, then there comes the higher kind of knowledge. It's having the Christ Spirit inside of us. We are spending a great deal of money in the Church on counseling. Counsel is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, if you're in trouble and you want to get sound advice, there are only two types of people to whom you should go—the very saintly those who have suffered they know how to counsel they will advise you they have Christ inside of them and with this increased knowledge then there comes an intimacy with our blessed Lord which is rather difficult to describe It's a constant state of being in love now here's the difference between loving our Lord and human love in human love there's first falling in love so that young people that are just about engaged say well I'm in love or I've fallen in love are they in love ten years after marriage or twenty six as a young couple in the church tonight this is their twenty sixth anniversary and I had my picture taken with him in the sacristy. And I said, I want to stand between the two of you. And I put my arms around the husband and wife and I said, the title of this picture is The Only Man That Ever Came Between Them. (laughs) So we speak of falling in love. And then people who are married actually in love. Now, the falling in love is like the frosting on a cake. That's to get you to eat the cake. The love is a state. People that fall in love do not always enjoy that ecstasy during life. There's something else, something deeper that comes. When, however, you lose love Christ, you're always falling in love. Take, for example, my my apartment. I have a three-room apartment. I have a study. I have a bedroom. And I have a chapel. The chapel is between my bedroom and my study. And I have a kitchen, just a hole in the wall. The blessed Lord is always there. In the Blessed Sacrament. I suppose I pass the chapel hundreds of times a day, but it's never without an act of love. If I get up at night, I always go in for a second and say, I love you. Pray for sinners tonight, pray for priests sisters those who ask me to pray for them so that you're in a constant state of love this is happiness and there is nothing in all the world like it and no human love is in competition with it never think because there's the love of husband and wife that the divine love is any less no Because that's a love of a God-given state. And it is perfected by the love of Christ. And young people, in particular, it isn't just a question of studying their religion. They've got to know you can only fall in love with a person. You cannot fall in love with a theory with a syllogism, with an abstraction. It has to be a person. That's the reason. The real spiritual life is Christ-centered. And you can start immediately. It's amazing when people begin to obey the will of the Lord, how quickly they become his slaves. Uh, About uh, five or six months ago, a woman who trains opera singers came to see me and she said, I don't know whether I'm interested in the church or not. I've been brought up on prejudices against it and I probably will never come in. But she said, there's one thing I'm certain of. If you start talking about the crucifix, or the crucifixion of Christ, I leave. That's the end. I said, all right, let's start there. I couldn't surrender the price of my redemption. I received her into the church. Do you know what she does now? She goes backstage to the Metropolitan with a crucifix in her hand. And she will go to the prima donnas and the mezzo sopranos and the contraltos and the others and shake hands with them, wish them well, and say to them, what do you feel inside of my hand? A crucifix. Then she'll talk to them about it. All this changed in the course of just a few months. Now this, my good people is what we are called to be saints and we're all within a few steps of it as Leon Blois once said one step beyond mediocrity and we are saved while we live he is with us when we die we are with him And I leave you just one secret. It never takes much time to make us saints. It takes only much love. Good night. And God love you. You
0: are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program. Bishop Sheen Presents, hosted by Al Smith. Well, my dear friends, I hope you enjoyed that reflection on the foundation of sanctity. And um, there was so much in that talk, but I thought uh, just how important it is when Fulton Sheen said, we need to fall in love with a person and not a theory, and that we are to fall in love with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so uh, I love the Lord, how he said in sacred scripture, uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So uh, we will have to do our best to keep the commandments. But again, a great talk. And know that you can listen to this talk once again in our uh, audio archives. Of course, um, on the website, there is... Again, Bishop Sheen Presents, and you can uh, click onto that tab and listen to this over and over again. And that's the beauty of the on-demand feature uh, on the website. It's so beautiful to know that um, if you miss a week, don't worry. You can catch up later and uh, enjoy uh, the wit and wisdom of Archbishop Sheen. And so, my friends, I uh, would pray that you would uh, have a great week. And, of course, uh, please know that I will pray for you. And I would ask you to pray for me. Uh, I'm busy speaking at parishes and various events all over North America, and so uh, please pray for my safety. Uh, you know, travel is, um, again, I enjoy it, but still there's always the um, the ups and downs of, um, you know, crossing borders and... Uh, You know, finding accommodations and different things like that. But still, uh, I would appreciate your prayers. And know that you can always find me at my humble little website. It's simply titled BishopSheenToday.com. And uh, on BishopSheenToday.com, there's hundreds of videos that you can watch for hours and hours absolutely free. Uh, hundreds of audio recordings that you can download and enjoy uh, at your convenience. And, of course, there's a dynamite selection of books that if you love to read and love to, of course, uh, spend time with uh, Fulton Sheen and his many uh, writings, of course, uh, 66 books is what he wrote. Uh, Some people say even more, and I believe it, uh, but still he... I took the time to write us these love letters, I like to say, uh, for us to enjoy. So you can find a number of books there uh, on the website, bishopsheentoday.com. And uh, please know that it is um, uh, good for the soul. I like to say it's all church approved. And so, my friends, until next week, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. And may the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you. You have been listening to Bishop Sheen Presents, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.